Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. My dad works in B2B marketing. He came by my school for career day and said he was a big ROAS man. Then he told everyone how much he loved calculating his return on ad spend. My friends still laugh at me to this day. Not everyone gets B2B, but with LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people who do. Get $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. Today's episode is brought to you by Deloitte Digital. Stay tuned after the podcast for insights on elevating the human experience. You're listening to Yeah, That's Probably an Ad. This is the Adweek Podcast, where we talk about marketing, media, technology, pop culture, because in the end, everything is an ad. I'm David Greiner. I'm the creative and innovation editor for Adweek. With me as she is each week is our co-host and social editor for Adweek, Kamika McCoy. How are you, Kamika? I'm good. I'm happy to be here, as always. Can we can we tell people about the Easter egg on this week's cover, or is it like a is it a big secret? <laughs> um, it's the, the debut, uh, the moment you've all been waiting for. Um, on the Ad Week Fifty cover, you will see uh, be graced with the back of my head. Kamiko <gasps> <laughs> McCoy, cover model. Beyonce's hairstylist. So so explain to us the, the what the cover looks like. So the cover, um, I actually had the privilege of going to this shoot. Uh, shout out to our photographers and Casey, our uh, photo editor here at Adweek. Um, they had a Popeyes. We went to the Popeyes location here in Manhattan, fixed up some sandwiches, talked to the workers and whatnot. And um, yeah, we I got to play as if I was standing in line waiting on one of those good, good chicken sandwiches. Mm. Time of my life. Um, I was having a good hair day, you know, slept in rollers the night before. Um, shoved my face into makeup the morning of, so it was a good time. All for the did back you, of my head. Did you have like? I feel like there's a certain pose of waiting in line at a Popeyes, like like kind of half agitated, but also just like staring at your phone and trying not to. You know, it's like I've I've spent I've I've literally spent hours waiting in Popeyes lines in the last two months, and so uh, I feel for you. But I'm glad you got to celebrate it in photo. So check out Adweek's cover this week. It is for the Adweek 50, which is our annual list of kind of the the power behind the power, I think is the way we describe it. It's like the people that that may not be the first names you think of when you think of a specific uh, brand or company, but they're the ones who are really influential behind the scenes. Uh, And we have uh, Bruno Cardinale from uh, Popeyes, uh, who runs their North American marketing. And uh, so that's what's on the cover, along with the back of Kamiko's head. So check it out. And we'll be talking about that list quite a bit in uh, in a bit. But first, I want to introduce our other panelists. We've got back Sarah Jurdy, uh, who is our publishing editor here at Adweek. Uh, Sarah, great to have you back. 
Thanks for having me, Garner. And uh, we've also got Patrick Culp, uh, who covers, I always say, you know, you would think I, since I work with you every day, Patrick, I would know how to describe your position. But uh, <laughs> what would you say? You cover emerging technology, uh, the worlds of AI, machine learning, 5G, and, and a bunch of other. What do we technically call you? Uh, I guess emerging tech works. Yeah, I think anyone works. knows. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Patrick, Sarah, uh, both uh, wrote up quite a few of our Adweek 50 honorees that we'll be talking about. But first, let's talk about some meth. So, um, anti-drug marketing has like a, a kind of a, a storied, cringy uh, history, right? I think we can all say like all of us have been young. All of us have been targeted by anti-drug uh, uh, you know, and of course, anti-smoking, a few other things, campaigns. Uh, but I, I feel like like anti-smoking campaigns have never been all that cringy, but but anti-drug campaigns have always been pretty bad. Is that is that unfair? No, I think that's a that's a pretty neutral take. I think that's absolutely a fair thing to say. <laughs> yeah. I do not known, ever remember watching one and being like, take. yes. I agree. This is this is a great PSA. I love this more. I mean, I was growing up in kind of the heyday of of crappy anti drug advertising. Um, you know, with the the fried egg. You know, this your brain on drugs, and the, of course the famous I learned it by watching you uh, ad about the dad who finds uh, gasp marijuana in his child's uh, closet or whatever. Um, and yeah, I mean, it was always just kind of like. Eh. All right. Um, and, and of course, ads, uh, drug ads in the 80s really convinced you, and maybe this kept going, that uh, that like someone would always be offering you free drugs everywhere <laughs> you went for your entire life, like especially <laughs> right outside of your school. Like you would walk out of school and there would just be some guy uh, standing there or in a car. And then in a big twist, it would turn out to be your dad and he was testing you or whatever like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, what? Uh, so we're going to be talking about uh, the anti-meth campaign uh, that uh, South Dakota's state government launched uh, this past week that got a lot of attention, not generally positive. But first, I'm curious, what do you each remember uh, when it comes to like anti-drug campaigns from your from your childhood teen years? I do remember the this is your brain on drugs, like the cracked egg sitch. Um, but I think the was the dare was that a P, was that a campaign or was that like the government? I was gonna say I was gonna say dare because that's the only drug related campaign that comes to mind for me. Yeah, yeah that's the most memorable thing for me too. They literally busted up in your classroom. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like on my deathbed, I'll still be able to recall that conversation. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I think it's famously considered like a tremendous failure. Uh, I, I think you know from what I've read about dare it it was kind of just one of those classic it's it's a bit and this is a maybe a bad metaphor um but i think it's a bit like all the stuff in the 80s about raising money to stop famine in africa and like none of that money actually stopped famine in africa like it was all intercepted it was all you know i mean because like you got warlords you got all these international groups and so it's one of those things like in the 80s you're like yeah we're, we're really making the world a better place and then you find out like none of this actually did anything like those things didn't feed anybody and uh and dare didn't stop anybody from doing drugs uh but it feels like I don't know. What would you guys say are like the big sins of these campaigns? What what do they get wrong? I think what really stands out to me in, you know, kind of the D.A.R.E. campaign, but also this campaign is that there's such a big mental health component when it comes to drug addiction. And it's not really just an act like you can't really come out with a splashy campaign ad and say that um, 
you know, you're drawing attention to this issue without talking about the big elephant in the room, at least for me, when it comes to drug addiction and the really serious realities associated with it. Yeah. Disparities, economic inequality and things like that are, are pretty heavy, heavily tied to it. And I feel like when you kind of gloss over that and just kind of focus on like the peer pressure element of it, which is like a, a sector of it, but not the whole piece of the pie, um, then you do quite often miss the miss the mark um, with your anti-drug PSA. Yeah, it does seem very surface level, um, which may make it kind of like a losing battle. I mean, I don't know how they could really address all of that in an ad campaign. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you've got 30 seconds to get to the point, so... Mm-hmm. Well, no, I think I think something that I noticed as a kid was that like you know all these ads about drugs, about cocaine and and pot, I guess, and, and all these other things, and then you know my day to day reality. Uh, luckily, not in my home, but you know you just go out in public and you experience like all the all the real awful people you run into are are drinking alcohol, you know, which is, is totally, is, is happily advertised on television. And so it's like that, I think it was Bill Hicks, the uh, comedian used to, you know, he had this whole bit about how, you know, if you go to a ball game and the people behind you are yelling obscenities and being jerks and spilling their drinks all over you and all this stuff, do you think they're high or do you think they're drinking? <laughs> and, you know, his, his point was like, there's, there's just the, you know, this, uh, kind of government uh, and cultural thing against against drugs and in marijuana, which you still hear, you know, Biden's been getting beat up for this. Uh, meanwhile, you've just got a bunch of people being jerks everywhere off a perfectly legal and heavily advertised uh, drug. And so I think growing up, I was always just like, I don't, am I supposed to be scared? Am I supposed to be running into this all the time and I'm just not seeing it um, or, or what? But so, so let's obviously move to uh, what South Dakota uh, rolled out this past week. Um, it was a the, the campaign, the catchy tagline. I'll give them that. Uh, the the campaign was called "Meth." We're on it. Uh, which I don't. I don't. So I guess I've been debating a lot if they intended this to be a double entendre. Like I don't think so. Like like the comments from the governor. Uh, when she unveiled this, she was like, "It's really important that people know that this is a problem that we are on top of." But but that okay so that that meaning was intentional obviously we're on it and which yeah okay you know that that's kind of what they meant but like did they not realize that we're on meth I find Has- it hard to believe that you spend <laughs> half a million dollars and nobody mm-hmm. pauses to be like well wait a minute here folks grammar <laughs> um, let's take a look at it. I just kept waiting for someone to say in all this discussion, like one of the officials are in, the, they wrote a lengthy uh, press release and then they kind of went quiet after it started to blow up. But, you know, they basically just said, oh, it's a serious problem in South Dakota. Uh, the number of arrests, I mean, and the numbers are terrifying. Uh, and I've lived in several communities where meth, and I'm sure meth is a, I, I live in Alabama now, I'm sure it's a huge problem here. Uh, and so, you know, definitely needs to be addressed. Um, and the numbers really are are you know, crazy. But I kept waiting for someone to say, like, we wanted to acknowledge that a lot of people in South Dakota are on meth, but we're also on top of, you know what I mean? It's like, I was waiting for someone to draw the connection between the two. Um, and they, they never did. And instead it, it, so that's what left everyone with this kind of mocking, uh, interpretation of like, they just, did, did they not get it? And, and to the state's credit, I guess, um, yeah, they uh, they just kind of said, "Hey, we're just glad we got everyone talking about it," which you know they're not wrong. Um, 
it's like I saw I saw a quote from a professor saying, "Yeah, a lot of people think that if you're marched out of town by a crowd, you should grab a baton and and act like you're leading the band." <laughs> 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 and so I'm like, "Oh, maybe there's some some of that." But I, I mean, what did you think of? Well, Kamiko, I'm curious, you know, obviously this was a very social media driven backlash. I was kind of surprised anyone even found out about it anyway. It all blew up on like the the Argus Leader newspaper. Uh, And then that story got tweeted out a bunch by folks and it kind of blew up from there. Uh, But what did you think of of that of that backlash to it and, and kind of the tone of what people were saying versus especially how the state tried to make sense of whether this was a success or not? I remember seeing this before, like it was before it like really really got big, I remember seeing it on my timeline, but thinking like, what the hell? This this there's no way, because um, this is very odd, a very odd, oddly worded um, campaign. But um, I was not the only one that felt that way because it did not blow over well on social media. Um, naturally, there were a lot of drug related jokes, which I will not read out loud. Um, some Breaking Bad jokes, lots of those. Um, there was actually, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the comedian Roy Wood from The Daily Show, um, but he. Um, Found it, made a couple, you know, made a couple of jokes about it as well. Came up with some graphics and whatnot. I, unless they were not his, then credit needs to go to the original creator. Um, but yeah, the, it, there was a lot of backlash, and I think what's interesting here is that um, it became kind of like a laughing stock, which is like I'm sure the opposite of what you would hope for an anti-drug campaign. Um, it was kind of became like this gateway to like other drug related and Breaking Bad um, jokes. Um, you know, I think the 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 view here is some people had the view of like all price is good price, but I just don't know if that was a, a strong enough view to kind of drown out what other people were saying on social media. And um, some actually people brought up the I think back in 2014, South Dakota had done a, another ad. I don't know if you're familiar with it, Griner. A Don't Jerk and Drive campaign. <laughs> <laughs> no. Is that real? Yep. Yep. Um, a couple of outlets reported it, and they pulled it um, before it made it out of the gate. I mean, so, I mean again, they're not wrong. <laughs> so not, not the first um, eyebrow-raising ad here to come out of that state. Well, was it South Dakota – who ran the um yeah yeah it was South Dakota I just googled it to make sure that their their official tourism campaign once was like why die on Mars when you could live here <laughs> Oh yikes and I mean that was like a, literally that was their um you know they were making fun of everybody wanting to move to this uh <laughs> to this you know to willing to move to Mars and they're like or you could just come here as if like dying on Mars is is option one and living in South Dakota is just a bare second <laughs> but I think at the time like they we even ran a picture of like one of their ads for that one said plenty of jobs plenty of air <laughs> like the, the abundance of air is something where it's like we, you can breathe so much here <laughs> um yeah, and they've done a few. Now, I am the first to admit, I love like a good kind of self-mocking um, campaign. Um, 
West Virginia just did a really good one where it was like they did a teaser campaign for a while. Did you guys see this at all where it was like it was hidden what they were advertising? Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. And so like they did, they they blurred these ads and they said like they were describing where you could go on vacation and it would have all this stuff and we'll reveal where it is. So, of course, you know, it's going to be a place that maybe doesn't have the best reputation. Uh, and then they eventually reveal it because like they, the name of the client was blurred in the ads and they eventually revealed it was West Virginia. And I kind of love that, you know, again. As someone who lives in Alabama, which a lot of people think is, you know, a backwoods kind of place, and it's great here, you know, in a lot of places, not so great in others. Uh, but I, we are very, uh, I think a lot of us uh, don't take it too seriously and recognize that our state maybe has a certain reputation and are willing to uh, make jokes about that. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I was going to mention too, uh, so there are a lot of um, drug ads around the world, too, which are always fascinating, right? Because we've all been exposed to these um, very American ads. And I would say America is probably the most intense drug, anti-drug advertising country um, that I know of. But there have been a, a bunch I've seen over the years. And, I'm, and and the problem is still there. Like, they're not good at it either. And there was one, and now I can't remember if it's from the UK or Australia or New Zealand, um, but it was about why you shouldn't drive lightly stoned, and uh, which is something like I know New Zealand's done a bunch of ads about. Um, and in this one ad that I'm thinking of, this husband is driving down the interstate, and his wife or girlfriend or whatever is complaining that he's smoked some pot, and he says, "You know, you're right." And he pulls over and he gets out and he switches to the passenger side so that she can drive. And while he's standing outside of the passenger side door, he gets hit by a truck and dies. And then it's like, don't drive stoned. Okay, well, there's a pretty central problem with this premise, right? He's doing the right thing. (laughs) Like, Like he's... He's pulled over on the side of the road. He's admitted that he was wrong to drive. He's getting in the passenger side and then he still dies. Like like it was almost has like no mercy. Yeah, I'm just like, "Wait, what is the message?" <laughs> like if he had kept going, he wouldn't have been hit. Do you know who just... probably came up with that ad? Have you ever seen the Mean Girl segment where he's teaching the kids about um sex ed, you will get pregnant and die? I feel like that <laughs> he was behind it. That character. But I just remember like the ad was so presented so seriously it was not a joke or anything and you're just like guys i don't think that ad says what you think it says (laughs) so anyway it is a problem uh we haven't seen much in the way of commentary since then coming out of south dakota i i think again they kind of acted like hey we're just glad to have sparked the discussion uh which they did here we are right uh here we are talking about it so you know props to that I just, I don't know. I don't know if it really structured. I think when everyone's laughing about being on meth, you haven't necessarily um, accomplished your mission of getting people concerned about meth. Uh, now, the the other big comparison, of course, uh, some of you may remember from, I don't know, 10 years ago, was the Montana Meth Project. Do you guys remember these? The the ads where it's like people talking about cutting out their eyeballs or whatever. You guys I'm know sorry, what? I'm talking? what? I missed that one, yeah. No. Oh, man. Y'all, it was um, so it was funded by this like tech billionaire, if I remember right, who, uh, you know, to his credit, really wanted to uh, 
address the meth epidemic when it was uh, really just kind of getting, you know, really blowing up. And so they ran these ads that were just brutal. And I mean, brutal on a level, like I'm not joking about that kind of like that be so so okay so i pulled up i pulled up a few um and uh and i'm looking at and you almost have to see them like if you really want to be traumatized you can just google montana meth project um but it says like uh picking for bugs under your skin isn't normal but on meth it is and it shows a guy just like scratching at you know at his skin and um, beating beating up an old man for money isn't normal, but on meth it is. Um, I think there was one that said like 15 bucks for sex isn't normal, but on meth it is. And it's just like they just – these were on interstates all over the place. They weren't just in Montana either. It spread kind of all over the region, uh, you know, in the, in the plain states and stuff. And, you know, they were horrifying. And, and I'm like those lines are nothing compared to the visuals. Like the visuals are – Really terrifying. And, you know, I had to give him credit, like, as someone who used to cover crime for a newspaper in a town with a pretty severe meth meth problem, um, they were accurate, you know? Um, like, they really did convey how bad it had gotten and how bad it gets for some people. I think the question just became, at what point is shock value too much? And then on the very other far extreme, you have meth were on it where everyone's just laughing at it. So, Maybe somewhere in between those two is the right balance. But if you have a uh, any thoughts on anti-drug advertising, what has worked, what you remember from your childhood, drop us a note at podcast at adweek.com. It's podcast at adweek.com. And uh, we'd love to hear about it and uh, hear which ones you remember most and which thought of some of these. Uh, and, uh, and good ones. We'd love to hear about good ones that actually, uh, you know get you to think about these things all right that's enough meth let's uh let's take a little break and then we'll be back to talk about this year's ad week 50 today's episode is brought to you by deloitte digital stay tuned as amelia dunlop head of customer strategy and applied design deloitte digital discusses why short-term decisions on technology can make us feel less connected all right we're back uh we're gonna talk about the ad week 50 which as i mentioned are kind of like the uh the people behind the people. Uh, and uh, we've got, I think this year there are 50 people on it. That was a little joke. You know, it's, yeah, we're good. <laughs> uh, let's talk about a few of the folks. As we mentioned uh, on the uh, on the front end here, uh, Bruno Cardinali, who's the head of marketing for North America of Popeyes, uh, is on the cover. Uh, that's obviously just in testament to the fact that everybody was talking about Popeyes this year. <laughs> and as I've said before on this podcast, I've been a lifelong uh, Popeyes customer growing up in the South and living here most of my life. Um, but uh, but no one's ever talked about it. Like, <laughs> like it's never been a point of cultural discussion. Uh, and man, uh, just in the past year, have I, did either of you ever get to actually try it? You actually had one last night. Ooh, oh, a sandwich? It was good. I don't know if I, uh, I don't know if I buy all the hype, but it was pretty good. All right. I've had one, and it's uh, I would like the spicy better. Yeah, you know, I had one. I had one before, and uh, one after the you know that they paused for two months. Uh, and I, to their credit, they were both the same, real good. Uh, I'd say it's still my favorite of all the fast food available ones. Uh, but uh, Bruno is a really interesting guy. He works very closely with Fernando Machado, who most people know as the CMO, the global CMO of Burger King. He's also been serving as the global CMO of Popeyes, uh, while Bruno oversees North America. Um, and, uh, you know, they've uh, they've obviously grown quite a bit. I think 
uh, 10% U.S. sale growth uh, over this past year. And, um, you know, I, I think they're just now kind of beginning this sort of transformation that uh, that we've seen from Burger King into being a, a, a real marketing leader. And hopefully I would... I would really like to think that as a customer service leader, because that's never been Popeye's strong suit, uh, and uh, and that's something that they're keenly aware of and that they're trying to um, trying to address. Uh, Sarah, tell us about some of the folks on the list that jumped out at you or that you even got to write about this year. Yeah, so I wrote about two folks from our um, list of people who represented the media industry uh, this year in our Ad Week 50. Um, Pamela Drucker-Mann, who's the global CRO and president of U.S. Revenue at Condé Nast, um, last year, she was a CMO, but Conde got a new um, global CEO, CEO under Roger Lynch. And so Pam was moved um, from CMO to this global CRO uh, position. And what's kind of interesting about what's happening at Conde now is as they are positioning themselves as this big international company, they are um, combining Conde Nast and Conde Nast International. And Pam is the one that's really been entrusted to lead that uh, integration. And so she's revamped and, and reorganized the ad sales team, both on the international level and based here in New York. And so we chatted a little bit about what that strategy looks like and how it's looking to evolve even further than that with the staff that she's hiring, which was really interesting. Um, also chatted with Jason Wagenheim, who's a CRO at Bustle Digital Group. And it has been um, such a big year for mergers and acquisitions. And when you talk about what that looks like for the industry, you can't help but mention Bustle Digital Group, who's been in this space now for a really long time. I think their portfolio now has nearly a dozen brands, um, digital media brands. And so Jason's really been the one leading that effort and integrating those newsrooms in with the other Bustle brands. And so we talked about what that looks like and how their strategy has looked um, and how they're posturing themselves going up against some of these other big media portfolios that some of the other digital media companies are, are scrapping together. Um, and so we talked, of course, about their award-winning branded content studio and really the nuts and bolts of where do you start and what questions do you ask when you're um, you know, buying these media companies for parts and trying to decide who goes where and what other parts of the newsroom you invest in. Um, so had some really deep insight about what that will look like for our industry moving forward. Um, but both Jason and Pam doing interesting work at Conde and, uh, and at Bustle. What, uh, tell us, remind us the, the media brands that are part of Bustle now, uh, like the, the more recent acquisitions. Yeah, so they have um, the Outline, which is um, the really unique-looking website. They have their own special CMS that's going to be looked at and um, applied across brands at Bustle. Um, you have, uh, you know, the Zoe Report that they they really first started out um, in growing and investing in. And the Zoe Report's a really good example of what coming into the Bustle portfolio looks like and what a, a media brand can, can thrive um, you know, and develop once they're under that umbrella. They also purchased um, at the end of last year already, it's been Mike, which, um, you know, went through its own really interesting scenario after kind of misstepping and making some big investments um, that were inappropriate at the time. But uh, Bustle came in and bought them and um, repurposed what was then the brand of content studio for Mike and has applied that across brands in their portfolio, um, which also now includes Nylon magazine, and they're looking to get into print with Nylon in particular, um, but have really kind of built this, uh, you know, 
holistic, integrated media company, which as you are piecing together what parts you want from which organization is kind of difficult to do, especially as you are maintaining the brands that you've already built, like, um, you know, Bustle Proper and, and Romper. Um, so I think it's a, an interesting model to look at, especially as we move into 2020 with all of these different digital media companies merging with one another and establishing what those new companies look like. And uh, Patrick, who did you uh, write about this year? Yeah, so I talked to Diego Scotti, who's the chief marketing officer at Verizon. And he's kind of played this um, really important role as Verizon has moved its focus away from digital media. It kind of wanted to be a digital media empire at one point and with AOL and Verizon. And now it's thinking more that it wants to focus on a more partnership-based strategy where it will kind of serve as a hub to all these various companies that want to make use of its new 5G network, when, which is kind of in the works right now. Um, and so he, his job as the marketing, uh, chief marketing officer is basically to find some of these partnerships, whether they're cancer imaging through AR or the New York Times 5G Journalism Lab, and highlight them. And that kind of uh, is the public face of this uh, really big reorganization that Verizon's undertaking. Uh, and then another, I also talked to Walker Jacobs, who's the chief revenue officer at Twitch. And I mean, Twitch is growing super fast right now. So a lot of what he did this year, a lot of the accomplishments he pointed to are just opening new offices internationally, whether it's Sydney, Stockholm, Singapore. And then um, they also recently just hired a new chief marketing officer. So kind of dividing roles with him and... Um, yeah, I think uh, he really, uh, he's kind of like a more old school media executive. So he kind of brings this experience to the table there. Who do you think Twitch, if anybody, who who does Twitch look to as a role model? I mean, you could, I guess the easy answer would be YouTube, but they're not YouTube. You know, you know it's a very mm -hmm. different, the reasons you go there, the reasons you are a content creator on there are, are different enough that I have always wondered you know, do they do they have a role model or do they think they're just kind of building a brand new thing here? Yeah, it seems like they're, I mean, they really think that they're building a brand new thing. And I guess YouTube would be the closest comparison. Um, maybe like streaming services like Netflix or Hulu, but it, I mean, it's so much more uh, scattered and user focused or um, streamer focused than those places. Yeah, I mean, it's like it, Twitch encompasses it's it, you know and i i need to phrase this in a way that doesn't sound like the old man that i am it, it in some ways it has really leaned into the the one the biggest aspect of um online content that i don't like which is the comments and obviously that's what twitch is really about right it's like mm -hmm. it is highly interactive it is it is really focused as much i would say on the content you're watching as on the the feedback uh, that people are giving. And I think if you go into it with the right mindset, uh, you can do that. Um, but it's, you know, it also makes it especially problematic. And, and, uh, and again, it's not like I'm giving some sweeping uh, criticism of Twitch here. A lot of people really enjoy it and really love it. It's just personally to me, like I'm a big gamer, but I don't play any online games with strangers just because I don't want to be, I don't want to deal with anybody. Like when I, like when I'm, when I'm like done at the end of the day, and I just want to turn on a video game or something. I don't want anyone bothering me. I don't want to deal with any other humans <laughs> unless I like, unless they're sitting in my living room with me. But I'm the first to admit that I am part of a 
a, a probably dying breed in that respect and that gaming has become a highly social uh, experience. And do you have a sense of how has Twitch expanded beyond gaming, though? I know that that's a big focus for them. Yeah, I mean, we didn't talk about that as much, but uh, I know that they have, uh, they've looked into other types of series. And I think, I mean, really, it's at, at its core, it's kind of like a live streaming platform of any purpose. So I know that they have really branched out there and uh, are looking to get into more areas. Yeah, it's like, you know, if you think about the the most fun you can have on Twitter is is like live tweeting uh, something on TV, right? Like it's like this big shared experience to be to be all be tweeting about the same thing, whether it's most recently the impeachment hearings or the Democrat debates. But you know, more fun, I would say things like uh, you know the Oscars or any award show or any kind of live event, and Twitch puts those in the same place, right? Like you've got the content you're watching and you've got the real-time, insane social commentary uh, all in one place. So, you know, it's a really cool model that you can see having a lot of value uh, beyond just watching people stream video games. Uh, but it's... I'm, I'm fascinated by it. But I also know it's a highly competitive space. And this is one of those, you know, like when YouTube came along, there were dozens of YouTubes, right? There were all sorts of... Like with Justin TV and like all these uh, big... Like wanting to be the big player in streaming... Or in video hosting, video streaming. Um, and, you know, YouTube won out and maybe Vimeo a little bit in second place. Uh, but I, I'm curious to see if Twitch is able to hold on to that. Um, that uh, kind of number one ranking. Anybody else on this list jump out at you, Patrick? Um, yeah, I also talked to Ann Loons, who is the CMO at Adobe. And um, with a company as wide-ranging as Adobe, I mean, she ha- cover- wears a lot of hats there. And she has to cover everything from branding the creative suites and kind of they run a lot of, like, user submission contests there for their marketing. And then their enterprise side, which is a lot of marketing, targeting software and um, just workplace um uh, Suites. Yeah, they've got like what the creative cloud and they've got the marketing cloud. And um, I mean, unless they've rebranded those, I might be dating myself by a few years. But I, I think there's a lot of big, most people who think of Adobe think of it in terms of Photoshop or, you know, maybe uh, like InDesign or whatever. Uh, but there's obviously these really huge, really big money making uh, enterprise aspects to it. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, there's a lot more folks on the Adweek 50 uh, that I wish we had time to talk about, but uh, we're out of time for now. Encourage everyone to check out this week's issue of Adweek uh, and adweek.com for the story uh, and a lot more content. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's a uh, big thanks to everybody. Uh, Sarah, thanks so much for making time for us. Thanks, Garner. Take care. And Patrick, great to have you back on. Thanks for joining. Thanks for having me on. And Kamiko, always great to have you. No problem. It's been real. I hope you guys enjoy the back of my head um, when the Album drops. Our theme music is by Home. This week's episode was produced by Chris Aarons with production assistance by Josh Riosen, edited by Lane McGibney. Uh, if you would like, you can drop us an email at podcast at adweek.com. That's podcast at adweek.com. And if you haven't left us a review yet on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, please do. It would mean a lot to us and that helps new listeners discover the show. Uh, for Adweek, I'm David Greiner and we will be back next week. As a society, we've made near-term decisions to optimize for technology, and in the process, we've created unintended consequences that make us feel less human. Here, Amelia Dunlop, head of customer strategy and applied design, Deloitte Digital, as she talks about the idea of human debt and why it's necessary to elevate the human experience. As humans, we put off till tomorrow things that are difficult or unpleasant in exchange for something that's easier 
more gratifying immediately. We just do. If you don't believe me, ask my children why they'd rather watch video games than make their beds in the morning. As organizations, we are all making decisions that optimize for more immediate technical solutions that might create longer-term headaches, like technical debt. Individually and collectively, we take on credit card, mortgage, and student loans that create financial debt. And as a society, we may be making short-term decisions about our technologies that make us feel less connected, less human, that create what we believe at Deloitte Digital to be human debt. But as fast as the technology is changing all around us, our human values are unchanging. That is why we aspire to elevate the human experience with every employee, every customer, every partner, every time. Want to learn more about elevating the human experience? Visit DeloitteDigital.com slash US slash EHX for more insight. Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just a thing for you. Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brand or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality.